is not what I am, even though my zip code has changed. I might smile and enjoy where I'm currently employed. Your soul can't be rearranged. But it's hard to understand. It's so hard to understand. Farewell, fam. It's episode 16 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and with me today are our prospect experts, J.P. Breen and Ryan Top. Both Ryan and J.P. have their top 10 list for the Brewers minor league system, but instead of listing the guys on each list, we'll break a few of the guys down by topic, and then you can read their full list on disciplesofeuchre.com. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. It helps fans find the podcast, so just take a minute, leave five stars, and write something nice about us. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. And you can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the Mix Pre 3 and the Mix Pre 6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay, guys, so we started to get uh, some top 10 prospect lists roll out this week. We have Baseball America's top 10, and we have Baseball Prospectus's top 10. So I guess uh, first we'll just start out, uh, Ryan, looking at both those lists, did you have one that you preferred over the other? I think they were they were a good contrast. We talked about this a little bit, I think, in our G-chat, where basically you had the, the Baseball America list leaning a little bit heavily on proven production and established, uh, sort of, yeah, established order and established production, whereas the BP list seemed to be a little bit more tool-based and a little bit more upside-heavy. So taking them together and looking at them provides a, you know, a pretty good look, I think, that I wouldn't say I prefer one over the other. I think that they both they work very well together as um, as a complete picture and giving you sort of what you what you know uh, and what you're looking at. Yeah, I mean Brinson continues to top lists. He's number one in the system, uh, pretty much without question. Uh, Baseball America had uh, Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns at two and three versus Baseball Prospectus. Uh, which went with Kesson Hira and Monty uh, Harrison. So, uh, JP, did you have a, a preference between the two lists? I, I think you had some input in one of them. So, I, I, I would guess that you'd lead one way. Yeah, I, yeah, pretty clear that I, I'll prefer the BP list. Um, there are some specific things that I, I disagree with on it, but uh, overall, I think it's a much better list. I think one of the big things that comes across. And you'll see it pretty much across the you know the prospect landscape in terms of baseball America, in terms of uh, MLB pipeline, and just everybody else that's going to be putting out their top ten lists. There aren't going to be any bad lists just because of the amount of depth. And I'd say probably in the six or seven through fifteen range, everybody's kind of the same. Yep. So there's not going to be a lot of you know, situations in which, oh goodness, I don't even remember when there were situations where like BA had Eric Ferris in the top 10 um, or just kind of outlandish picks where people are scouting, uh, they, they are scouting scats. They are uh, scouting stats. Um, 
where like last year it was pretty clear that BA was doing that. And I was pretty hard on them specifically for leaving Brett Phillips off the list, but I don't think there are going to be a lot of situations because even if you wanted to leave somebody like Brett Phillips off the list and you wanted to put in somebody like Mauricio Dubon, nobody's going to get upset with that. Yeah. And I mean like the baseball America list, um, I, I think the one that would be similar to, Oh, am I looking at the right one? One of them lost or left Ursig off, didn't they? Yeah, it was BP. Oh, that was BP. Okay. I, I know, Ryan, you aren't a fan of that. You like... Uh, no, I like Ursig. But I understand, again, like JP was saying, the way when he described it, that's exactly where I was with my list, too. I have sort of hard lines drawn. There's Brinson is pretty clearly the number one, and there's nobody... It, it, you wouldn't argue that point. I don't think there's really a, a, a good rational argument for that. And then I have another four guys that I would say constitute the next four that I think are pretty firm. And then from literally six to 15, I think anybody who could, you would want to make an argument in that group. You, I, I would not be able to argue with you saying that any of those 15 belong in the top 10, that if you snuck one of them into the back end of it, because you really like them, that would be perfectly acceptable. So it's, it's an incredibly deep system, which, you know, people know that if you're listening to this podcast, you know, it's a deep system and it's been that way for a while now. And, you know, it's a fantastic situation to be in. So JP, do you agree that it's kind of easier to group guys together as opposed to trying to do a list of one through 10 and differentiating between, you know, individual spaces on there? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit complicated for me just because, um, there are tiers in which, yeah, yeah I, I mean, Brinson's pretty clearly number one. And then actually two through six are pretty similar for me. And then seven through 15 to 16 are all very, very similar. But within those, I think you'll see some things like, you know, fan graphs will put uh, future value tags on them in terms of numbers. Um, you'll see people use OFP, uh, even though I don't think a lot of people actually understand how OFP works. Do you want to and, explain OFP quick? I mean, it. I can. I can give my critique against doing that for prospects and trying to group people in that because it collapses so many differences between players within the same uh, value buckets and tries to pretend like you can a objectively or. Uh, create some kind of broad agreement on what kind of OFP these, uh, these prospects have, which is, you know, overall future performance in, and tries to try to place them, whether they'll be, you know, above average regulars, whether they'll be like first, first division regulars, which means a, a regular on a, a very, very good team rather than somebody that is, you know, the Padres. And the problem is, is if you put somebody and say that they're at a 50 or a 55, which is about league average, you're going to have situations in which all of them in there are going to have different likelihoods of hitting. You're going to have different likelihoods of being able to potentially be better than that. Uh, what kind of, uh, you know, place within the minor league system there, whether they're at low A, rookie ball, whether they're in high ball, you're going to have situations in which you are going to prefer different sorts of tools than other people are going to prefer. Like if you prefer a hit tool, you're going to like certain prospects better than others. Um, whether so they're just it, it's messy and so trying to act like you can do those sorts of things is is counterintuitive but for myself i i particularly like 
uh, ranking just because it does allow for that subjective nature, the kind of the art of scouting and, and allows you to show what sort of things you value as it in your personal rankings, I guess, right? Like I am going to, I've gotten more convinced that, uh, that polish matters, but I'm still going to rank guys based on what I think their, their upside is because I don't think that there is too much value in trying to rank guys based on what their likelihood or their proximity to the, to the league is. I think that's something that BA does because they want people and they want their readers to recognize these guys that are going to, to hit the, the pros and they want them to be like, Oh yeah, they're in the majors. I saw them on that top 10 list when it doesn't necessarily relate to uh, their overall upside. What, how good of a prospect prospect they are, what their value is in the trade market, all of those sorts of things. So I, I just tend to, to think that subjective lists are much better, especially once we get to the point that we know as soon as we release these lists come March, it's going to be completely different because they're just snapshots in time. Okay. And well, hold on one second. Yeah. Um, the baseball America thing that one thing I do like about their system, this wasn't exactly what you're talking about, but what I do like about their system is that they've assigned the, the, OFP, so basically they've given you a, a potential role that they think, but they also give you a risk factor. So they give you the upside balance along with the risk factor, which unfortunately the risk or the, the upsides that they give don't truly represent true upside. They tend to bake it a little bit more towards the... Um, what's their likely upside? What's the likely upside at this point? Yeah, and it's, but it's not true upside. Somebody like Demi, uh, Demi Muriel stands out in that respect because like his super super raw his true upside is or was at least when he came into the system was probably you know a superstar like that was the true upside but it was such a low probability of happening because it was he had so far to go to get to that point that it didn't make any sense to put that high of a of a ranking on it um but what they what they've done with their system is they incorporate both the risk grade so anywhere from extreme down to, um, I think, like moderate or safe. And basically, I think that does a pretty good job of trying to trying to figure out a way to, to bake all these things in. But I also agree totally that the, the sequential list ends up being the way that you can most bake all of this stuff into the equation in a way that is sensible, that, that just that has, you know, a logic to it and that doesn't, you know, over doesn't overestimate the certainty because it, none of this is certain. Even even the most safe of prospects, especially you see it in the draft, even the safest of guys isn't actually that safe. You see guys get taken all the time because they're safe. And that was, you know, Taylor Youngman got taken because he's safe. Well, how safe did that end up being? I was going to say, that was the whole deal when the Pirates took Tony Sanchez, I think it was at three, because he was a college catcher who was supposed to be super safe that he was going to make the majors. And he did, but as a backup, and nobody thinks he has much of a future. Right. And so in a lot of ways, you're like, well, you just wasted the number three pick in the draft. Right. So when when teams go safe, that could often be a you know something you worry about. Though, that was also an argument for Buster Posey, that he was safe. Buster Posey was supposed to be quite safe. And, you know look where he is. He was, he was a safe, safe superstar. Yeah. The safe, <laughs> the safe superstar so. who fell to five because of demands, but 
Yeah. Anyway. Um, okay. So like I said earlier, uh, instead of just listing off uh, top tens, uh, we'll kind of bounce around with a few different topics. So that way we don't get too bogged down in numbers um, and who's kind of uh, slotting in where on your list. So we will have the list. We'll post them on uh, disciplesofeuchre.com if you want to see what uh, both Ryan and JP's list look like. But first off, I want to start off with... Uh, Ryan, who on your list uh, do you think has been underrated or an off-the-radar player uh, for most other lists so far? So we're talking on the top 10. Or close. It doesn't have to be on the top 10. Oh, Oh, I was going to say, mine's completely... If we're doing off-the-radar, mine's off-the-radar. Okay. I mean, you can talk about whoever you want here then. I think... So a couple of guys stand out to me. I think that we've seen Jorge Lopez basically disappear from the conversation. And I don't think that that's, uh, that that's the way it's going to end up. I think we're going to see Jorge Lopez in the major leagues as a, um, at worst sort of a middle reliever for a while. Um, possibly more, possibly, you know, a good reliever down the road. We'll see where that ends up. That's boring though. He's been around for, I mean, he's clearly gotten to that point where everybody's kind of expecting if he does make it at this point, it's basically just in the bullpen somewhere. Yeah. I mean, that's been for a year at least now. Well, he, he was say it seems to be what everybody is rating him at. Yeah. But he's like disappeared off of top thirties now because he's a middle relief prospect, (laughs) but he's potentially a, a good reliever. Which you could say about every single. I was going to say what prospect. what reliever isn't potentially a good reliever? They, if you're a relief prospect, you've probably got one <laughs> pitch. Your, yeah. Well, but if you're a relief prospect, you probably got one pitch that's you know very good. So you would think if a guy can harness that and maybe add a little something else, they can be right. Because I would say Taylor Williams is a better relief prospect than Jorge Lopez, and Taylor Williams isn't going to make the top twenty of anyone's list. No, he's in my top thirty though. Well, I said top, 20, said top 20. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you, do you have, I think I have them at 25. Do you have, do you have someone who's in your top 10 that's higher than where they're normally showing up for everyone else? Um, yeah, probably. I have Corbin Burns at number two at this point, And that probably is higher than just about anybody else. I don't know. JP, you look like you love that pick. No, <laughs> <laughs> not so much. No, it's 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 recency bias. It's you haven't seen him fail yet. It's a pet project in which you said you liked this guy earlier than a lot of other people. So you're just going in on it hard. Well, you actually liked him before I did on that. A part of the reason I liked him earlier was because you said Corbin Burns is really good. You liked him first, but I like. <laughs> well, him he is good. <laughs> he's, like a, he's a top ten. He's a top ten prospect in the system. That's really good. You you were the you were the primary reason that I was higher on him earlier than people other people were so well clearly the lesson is not to go crazy but jp who do you have that's uh under underrated or off the radar um on most lists that people should know about um i'm gonna go down in the system quite a bit um i'll I'll go for two people primarily uh right-hander uh josh pennington down in the single a for the timber rattlers He's the guy who just had some loud stuff by the end of the year. He's somebody who came in the, he was one of the the throw in, like not a throw in, but um, he was the third piece of the the Taylor Thornburg deal. So if you think that, you know, Travis Shaw was good. Mauricio Dubon was good. Um, Josh Pennington is, is another guy. He's, he's a little bit shorter, 
Um, so there have been some long-term maybe bullpen projections with him, but he's got big fastball. He's got a good breaking ball, and he was really starting to put up some good good performances by the end of the year that they were starting to have some pretty loud reports on him. Wait, so he's listed um, at six foot, and they got him in the uh, Tyler Thornburg. Tyler Thornburg. He was the deal. third piece. Yeah. So did they yeah. trade for another Tyler Thornburg? I mean, that was the joke when they took him, right? I mean, it was a, he was a shorter guy with a big fastball, and they were like, well, is this going to be the guy long-term that can just be Tyler Thornburg? Um, but so they can I, keep I think pillaging the Red Sox when they talk about him. him back. And, right, yeah, just just one long perpetual Tyler Thornburg deal. I think we'd, um, we'd, we'd all I think, be for that. Yes. Uh, I think that... The other guy is uh, Gabriel Garcia. He's a first base prospect. I like, like his bat. It's a profile that doesn't really work with where he is in first base, but there's some talk that his uh, athleticism could either A, find him behind the plate eventually, or he could handle a position outside of first base. But uh, good eye at the plate. He shows a good feel for hitting. He doesn't necessarily have enough power to profile well at first base, but if he's able to handle something out, off of first base, then he's potentially uh, much more interesting. Um, I think I'd have him at the back end of my top 30. He's somebody that I know in talking to people who do the help out with the, the, the uh, MLB pipeline list and things like that, that Gabriel Garcia was in some pretty big discussions to be in the top 30, but just kind of lost out due to some other people. Um, but he's just somebody that's off the radar. I talked about him over the summer for a lot of folks who were, who follow on Twitter and things. So he's not going to be necessarily new, uh, but he's somebody that just, I think is it goes along. People are going to have to pay attention to because I think he's just going to continue to hit. Now. I mean, he's a guy who's six, three playing first base. Does he, is there something about his profile that doesn't project to hit for more power because he's also 19 right now and playing rookie ball. Yeah, absolutely. He just doesn't have a lot of leverage in a swing, right? I mean, he's he's a good bat to ball, but right now he just doesn't have a lot of loft and he doesn't create too much leverage. He's just good eye, good idea what he's doing at the plate. Um, and he hits, and it's a lot, lot like, uh, oh, who I've, I'm trying to think of who like a good good example would be, but at the majors, I think probably right-handed first base pro, or first baseman who don't necessarily hit for a lot of power don't do much. So it, it's a t- tough profile to carry. It's a lot like, I mean, a, a poor man's uh, Jesus Aguilar, I guess. I mean, Freddie Freeman didn't hit for a ton of power when he came up. No, but he always had the potential. To sure. Yeah, I was power. trying right. to think of somebody a, who and was. And he's a left-hander, right? Right, yeah. I mean, um, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say one more guy on the sticking with that theme of guys who were traded from the Red Sox. Um, the last piece in the Aaron Hill trade, I think that there's a good chance we're going to see a good amount of Wilkerson this year um, who came over. And it's back-end starter stuff, but there are people that think that it can play in the big leagues as a you know a guy who can eat some innings and be competent. He's a four-pitch mix. So and by people, you mean Keith Law, right? He is, I think, the most prominent one. But, I mean, there's other people that have thought that he could, you know, he he has produced well. He's what less you know, prominent ones have thought this. Yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot right now, or we can move on. Yeah, we can move on. I'm trying to think. <laughs> I do, I think it is. It probably is just you know. No, I mean like Wilkerson's fine. 
but you know and i mean we are going to see him this year this is you know part of it and i probably right probably i would imagine yeah Okay, so we're going to uh, move on from here. Um, I guess now we'll look at uh, JP. If you want to give us somebody who tends to be overrated on all the prospect lists that maybe you're down on a little bit more than than everybody else up to this point. Uh, this is a little bit unfair, and so I'm going to just kind of hear me out for it. Um, but I'm gonna I'll say Jake Gatewood, um, and that's just because. Again, for the exact same reason that even though Gabriel Garcia is has a difficult profile uh, and a lot of the talk about Gabriel Garcia is the fact that if he can move off of potential prospects, uh, Jake Gatewood has to pull so much weight offensively to be worth it um, at first base. And there is a lot made of the fact that he's finally had contact lenses so he and it absolutely showed that he was able to take better pitches. Uh, it was able to show better plate discipline, but there, like I've heard there are so many stories about guys getting glasses, LASIK surgery, contacts for the first time, all of those things to be skeptical of that kind of story. And I know that it fits within the broader narrative, but it's just such a difficult profile to have. Um, that I think so many people look at Gatewood's uh, power potential, his uh, uh, high school, they look at his and they look at the fact that he had a, a good first half and don't necessarily take into consideration the whole picture. Now, the reason I said I wanted to put a caveat with this is because uh, Gatewood, first of all, I think his makeup is off the charts. Excellent. Um, I think he's a hard worker. I think his swing dramatically. And it's not just a story about him getting contacts and everything is like his swing is markedly better. Um, and he's clearly working on it very, very hard. Now, so is his power starting to show up in games a little bit more? Cause I mean, that was the other issue. He had the big, you know, batting practice power, but I, he hadn't really yeah. shown game power yet. Yeah. It's right. Showing up. And yeah, I mean, it's certainly showing up, but at the same time, he still can cheat. Um, He's, he is much more comfortable. You want to explain more own. about that? Because that has a, in scouting circles, it, it has a different uh, implication. Not everybody might be familiar with it. When you say he might cheat, what are you talking what about? You I'm not saying he's using PEDs. Right. <laughs> no, but just oh, explain you just what you're like talking about. You, I was going to say, you're the only one oh. that made that assumption, Ryan. I think everybody that wasn't what I was assuming. I think everybody <laughs> understands that he's, you know, selling out on, on some pitches that, you know, he can get fooled on. Yeah. I mean, the higher he's, just, he gets. he's just somebody that, yeah, he's just somebody that can take advantage of a fastball by, by selling out on it. He can cheat on a pitch. Um, he can get his bat out a little bit early. Um, but as he gets a higher up, he's going to deal with guys who a are going to have better pitches, but B are going to be able to throw off speed pitches more consistently out of the same arm slot that they throw their fastball to cheat on that as much. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I mean, I think he's got, I am way higher on Jake Gatewood now than I was 12 months ago, but I think it's gotten. It, he still it has a hill to fast. climb. Like there's still everybody got out. right. It's everybody got too excited about it too quickly. Um, and people always have to keep in mind, how does this look at the major league level? And 
to be a right-handed first baseman, you have to be special at the plate, not have the potential to be special. You have to produce and you have to produce with power. Um, now maybe Jake Gatewood could go back and play third. Um, I don't necessarily know if that's a long-term option. I don't know what the organization thinks in that. If There's he can been... move over to third base and he can handle third base, then I, then I'm much better on Jake Gatewood than I was before. There's talk um, of but... him getting some work out in the outfield too. In fact, I think he was getting some, like not in games yet, but he's been taking some reps in the corners to see how that works for him. If he so, can, so if like, he can be like a potential four corner, uh, I was gonna say like, a, like an Eric Thames type of if you can put him in left <laughs> field, like, like that, that increases his profile. I mean, it'd be interesting. Don't get me wrong. Um, well, just some flexibility because uh, obviously the Brewers want flexibility right. in their position players. That's a thing they, they clearly they prize. They do, but uh, somebody who can play a quality defensive first base profile while they're defensive or offensively doesn't necessarily make too great about a guy who could maybe profile okay and left but not play great defense there but we can put in there so therefore we can check the flexibility box i'd have to make sure that like it's passable because i don't necessarily think that eric thames he can play left field. I wouldn't say that he actually provides positional flexibility. Well, then Thames' issue was he'd right? get like hamstring issues and stuff like that. So putting him in the outfield to run around was also not a good idea from that perspective. It was hard, yeah. I mean, I think that that was something that was very, very – it was underrated by, by Brewers fans how much he was really dealing with leg stuff like, yeah. by the end of April. So, anyways, we don't want to get into Eric Thames too much since we're talking about our, our prospect list right now. So, Ryan, if you want to go on, uh, who's somebody that uh, you think's been overrated so far on prospect lists? Trent Clark. I think that, and this is really you know a function of BP had him eight or nine. Was that what it was? I have it. Just give me a second. Yeah. Anyway, they have him at nine. Yeah, they have him at nine. Okay. I personally, I think there's. There's profile issues primarily with Clark. This is the number one problem with him is he looks like he's going to have to be now a left fielder and he can maybe be, you know, a guy who could fill in while young in center field, but not really play the position to the level you would, you know, ideally like it to be played to and, uh, you know, filling it right, those sorts of things. But it's just such a tough hill to climb and he has shown really at this point that he has the ability to be extremely patient and work counts and take a ton of walks. There's a hundred percent that's there and that's good. But in terms of actually being able to attack pitches and do any sort of damage, we knew when he was drafted that, you know, he wasn't necessarily supposed to be a power monster. The, the high end was sort of people were talking about, well, maybe he could get up to 15, 20 homers a year sort of thing. Um, which with, with, a ton field, of with a ton of doubles. With a ton of doubles, and yeah, and, and that looked like it could potentially play. I don't know that that's, we're going to see that, and we're definitely not seeing, we thought we were you know, going to be looking at a very, very good hit tool, potentially you know, well above average hit tool, and that just doesn't seem to be coming into focus. And he's been in the system now for two and a half years, and we just haven't seen that step forward yet, and I think that... Well, I mean, does he have any above average tools? 
at this point. He just seems I mean, like kind of a guy that across the board can do a bunch of stuff. Plate but. discipline isn't a tool. He's well above average at that, though. I think you can question. Well, we've also if, talked about lower levels. You know, just because you're taking walks doesn't mean you necessarily have great can, plate discipline. Can I offer a couple of, of thoughts on Trent Clark? Sure, sure we'll let you get acceptable. in. All right. Uh, first of all, uh, I completely take the point about plate discipline at the lower levels. Um, Trent Clark has great plate discipline. Um, he absolutely can, he can recognize pitches very well. He has a great idea of the strike zone. So I don't necessarily think that's an issue. Um, I will say that there are some scouts who are, um, are big on Trent Clark still. So he has a fan club. Yeah, I'm, I have similar question marks about what the profile looks like. Um, but there are some scouts that are pretty big on him. I mean, that um, hit tool is going to have to and get are pretty, so much better. And are pretty big on, especially in the second half, they said he got much better. Um, so I, I take the point. Uh, I know that you and I have discussed how I don't necessarily know how the profile looks. Um, and he's not in my top 10, but some people has put them in because there are some people that that argue very very strong a lot okay uh we'll keep it moving here um i guess at this point uh jp who in the system do you think has the loudest tools who just who does something just better than any other player that i I guess is in the brewer system right now uh monte harrison pretty much across the board just everything power speed I mean, I know he's got a lot of athletic yep. uh, prowess, so. Yeah, I mean, he is one of the most impressive athletes that is in the system right now. And uh, if he continues to progress, he is a perennial all-star. Um, I mean, there is risk to it, but in terms of there are in terms of his power potential, in terms of his speed, in terms of how he runs the base paths, in terms of his defense, defense and center field, if he can continue to improve and he can continue to put stuff together, there's nobody in the system. And I might even include uh, Lewis Brinson in that, that can touch what Monte Harrison can do. Well, and part of that is we could still dream a little bit on Harrison's tools where Brinson's yeah. so close that, that, that ceilings become a little bit more defined. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think so, that's, that's um, a fair point. Is, is there a particular tool for Harrison or do you think, does he just have a few that are 60 plus in the majors, you know, uh, I guess yeah. what is it about it? I mean, he can he has a good idea of the strike zone. I don't necessarily know if he's going to have plus plate discipline or anything like that, but um power above average. Uh I his speed certainly above average, his defensive capabilities in center above average. Uh he's somebody that can be a 2020 guy in the major leagues and yeah, I mean, it's it's funny cuz of years ago there was, I don't even remember where it was, but there was, um, maybe it was ESPN with Keith Law or maybe it was BP or somebody, but somebody said, what is, what is the overall package that Monty Harrison could become? And this was a couple of years ago before he actually had his breakout and somebody said it was Andrew McCutcheon and people, uh, made fun of that. Um, and a couple of years later, that doesn't necessarily seem out of the realm of possibility anymore. Yeah. So, and again, Harrison really shot up lists this season. So I think everybody's yeah. a lot more excited about what he could be now that he finally had a full season where we could see what kind of player he is. Absolutely. And he's like one of the, and 
undoubtedly there is something about going and watching Monty Harrison and he just looks like physically better than everyone. Um, like there's a reason he was a D one football recruit too. I mean, he, even if he was Nebraska. Yeah. Well, okay. And he was a very good Uh, basketball. Nobody's perfect. A, I was going to say a a fake football (laughs) scholarship, right? One of questionable. It's a real, uh, it's a real scholarship. Just, you know, wherever you land. So Ryan, do you have a preference on anybody with, with loud tools? I think the correct answer is Monty Harrison. So I'll talk about somebody else. I was going to say, pick someone else. That's why we're doing it this way. Um, Isan Diaz. I'll say that the overall package there is still, I mean, JP has heard, you you talk about this a little bit more, but he's heard, you know, great things about the hit tool in specific going back a ways. It looks like there is a well above average power there for a middle infielder. And his is kind of about profile defensively. He should be good. There doesn't seem to be any problem there. Maybe the only place that he doesn't have, the potential for showing above average tools is with the the speed on the base paths, but everything else seems like it has above average potential and it's just getting lost in the the bad season that he had. But there's still a lot, a lot to like there. It was interesting. I think it was the BP write up on him kind of noted that he was a, a it was the the fantasy portion of their prospect write up noted that he's kind of a throwback because he doesn't he probably won't add much more than a plus bat if he turns out, if he hits a ceiling. He's not a runner. He's not a runner now. He's not a runner. He's not going to add speed on the bases or anything like that. So he really does need to carry a pretty significant hit tool to be... Um, well, uh, JP uh, can add more to this, but, but the did, defense I mean, also, looks like gonna it's going to be solid, too. He plenty of walks, though, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. But the, defensively, the profile is there, too, that he should be potentially an above-average second baseman defensively. But does, he have the, does he have the best hit tool in the Brewer system right now? Hero. Uh, it's well, that's a different, like, no, well, no. Um, but like potential is different than like what he puts in to game. Like, right. Like, cause there, I think he has a better potential hit tool than he does with his current approach. I think if he changed his approach, he, his hit tool would be much higher, but no, Kesson Hira has the best hit tool in the system. Okay. So Hira actually has a louder tool there than, uh, Ice and Diaz. Keston Hira is like one of the few. I'm asking Ryan, do you want to change? Do you want no, no, to change? No, 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 your... no. I'm saying the overall package. We weren't talking about loudest tool. We were talking about loudest tools, right? Okay. It's the overall package. And okay. I think Diaz is, you know, has some advantages there, definitely in power upside. I, th- I think that Keston Hira is the last prospect that I can remember in which no scouts have a question about his bat. Everything about whether or not Keston Hira is going to make it at the big league level, what kind of role he's going to have, how it looks in terms of, uh, you know, overall value is tied to whether or not he can play defense at second base, whether or not he's going to be in center field, how he can throw. There are still questions about whether his throwing mechanics are any good. And so people just need to see him in the field. But I haven't talked to anybody. I haven't read a single prospect uh, report like a scouting report in which anyone has a question of how his bat is going to profile at the big league level. Everyone thinks he's going to hit. And I was just trying to think of like the last person that I like Anthony Rendon was somebody like that where nobody had a question he was going to hit. But there were questions about power with, with Rendon a little bit. Like, was it going to be, you know, 15 to 20 home runs a year? Or were we looking at, you know, 30 plus 
So there were some well, questions sure. about how much well, power that, was going to, because that, that, that does end up mattering a lot in terms of upside. Wait, like how that, much power well, a guy hits does. for does matter a lot on upside. Okay, hold on. Because you can only be so good without much power. I mean, like there's there's sort of a limit. There's a ceiling there. So. Yeah, that's true. But I have, I have another question because write-ups have also said that Hira has, you know, 30-plus power potential for home runs. I mean, isn't – yeah, I think it was in the BP write-up. Um, is, is he – does Ison Diaz have more power potential than Keston Hira? Uh, I, yeah, I think so. Diaz yeah. does, but because think you think so. Diaz can, will, will, is more likely to hit 30 or Ison Diaz could be a 40 home run guy in the big leagues. Like why? No, I think, Kessin, I, I think Kesson here is probably a 15 to 20 homer guy. Okay. And in this, I mean, the whole, the, I was going to say the whole like juice ball scenario. Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that there is something to be said for trying to project what, Keston Hira can do long-term if he does tap into more power, if he does put more leverage in his swing. But I think that much more comfortably, you would be better off projecting here at 15, 20 homers. I think, I think Eason Diaz can hit 30. Um, I think he might also hit like 245, but I think he can hit 30. But okay. if he hits 245 with 30 homers, it's going to be a really good offensive profile at second base because he's also then probably giving you what? A 330, 340 on base percentage? I don't know. It depends. Uh, Odor down in Texas hit 30 plus home runs, and the guy could barely do anything else. So, well, but but Diaz is a different player, and we've talked about the fact that he well, doesn't have the plate. I understand that, but you can you can claim right now a guy can hit 30 home runs. It doesn't mean that's going to be a good offensive player. No, no, no. I'm just saying that if if that's true, if he hits 245 with 30 home runs there's also going to be a substantial number of walks in there that are going to, he's going to be an on-base guy. Is Diaz that much of an on-base guy, JP? I mean, right now he is. Yeah. I mean, he, he has a good, he has a good idea at the plate. Like Odor is, first of all, he's somebody that uh, if you are somebody who's into fantasy baseball, he's somebody that you should be targeting because everybody's going to bail on him and he's a very good player. Um, But he's just somebody who's like, Odor is far more aggressive and, struggles with pitch recognition more than than Isan Diaz does. Um Diaz I think the the reason he hit doesn't hit for average is because his like he he's over aggressive. Like if he were the reason he can hit 30 homers is because he has chosen that profile. Um I mean it's not the same way that like Ichiro could hit 30 homers because he can hit a homer whenever he wanted to, right? Like that Ichiro is you know, he's a special guy. I was going to um, say comparing anybody to Ichiro is kind of a fool's. Well, error. I was I was trying to make a stupid reference towards his beat, like his batting practice thing, where people would always say that he could hit a home run whenever he wanted to. It right, is, he could have hit sixty home runs a year if he wanted to, but he just chose not to. Yes, it is stupid. I mean, to be fair, I do think noted, he chose so. not to hit for power, but but the the overall power upside was still not massive. Right. Like it wasn't right. he wasn't giving up. The ability to hit, you know, well, and we've talked about the difference between batting practice power and actual game power are two different things. Right. So I wish Ishiro would have come over when he was twenty-one. He'd be he would have put up some fucking numbers. Plus, Pete Rose would have to completely disappear then. Oh God, Which he God, could, he that would could be do glorious, either, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I, that would be great if he did, anyways. But Ichiro would have been able to, you know, basically push him down the uh, hit king list there, and then we could be done with that whole fiasco. So um, moving on, Ryan, who do you have in the system as your immediate impact for the Brewers probably next season? Woodruff. He's the highest prospect who I think is going to see substantial big league time this year in the system. 
Um, I think for me, yeah, it's a toss up between him and another guy, but yeah, I'd say Woodruff. I think that he has the chance to be a solid middle of the rotation starter this year. So if he's a, you know, a three, four this year, that is going to have yeah, a huge impact on what the Brewers. So can you, you see improvement from what he showed this season in the big leagues. I think we'll see. Uh, yeah. I think we will see some, he'll take some a step forward. Yes. Okay. Oh, no, a step forward, but I mean, he showed flashes of of what he I think is going to do this year already. He just finished the season a little bit weekly. So, uh, JP, who do you have as somebody who's going to be the the immediate impact out of the the system this coming season? I have Lewis Brinson. I think I think Brinson they'll so, make space for him to be able to get every day. I say so you weren't going to overthink this question. Nope. Um, I mean, I get Woodruff because the Jimmy Nelson injury makes much more space for Woodruff to potentially have a role. But, um, I mean, I think that you're looking for – there's nothing for Brinson to do at AAA anymore. And if you're looking for somebody who is going to be the best player coming out of the system right now, it's Lewis Brinson. So, that's my do, guy. Do, is you, he do going you think, to be – sorry. Hold on ahead. a second. Do you, do you think then they're going to basically start four outfielders next season? Is it going to be a rotation between Braun, Phillips – Brinson and Santana. Uh, I mean, and if, unless they end up trading uh, Phillips, which I think is a possibility. I mean, they could even trade Brinson, but um, and we're assuming they're trading Keon Broxton and all this. Like we haven't even mentioned. Him. I just, I just don't necessarily know. Even if he is not traded, if he has a path to regular playing time, okay, I don't think there's enough. much of an argument saying that Keon Broxton is going to offer more production than Lewis Brinson. Yeah, Brinson's Brinson's at the age now where they have to like give him his shot. He has adjustments yeah. to make too that he needs to get fi- he needs so, to figure something So out. does Woodruff. So that would sure. be like a pointless argument to make. But but sure. Brinson's also not like a 21-year-old top prospect. We're talking about is he 23 or 24? I think next he'll be season? 24 next season. I mean, they they need to get him out there regularly to see if he's actually the player everybody's hoping he is. It is time, yeah. He needs Oh yeah, he absolutely they need to clear a space for him to you know to go through his ups and downs and all that but that's why when you bring up Broxton it's like no they're gonna have to clear guys out because they're at this point they will need to yeah you know so there's no question about that um anybody else besides Brinson for you JP for the immediate impact yeah I mean again because Brinson's a pretty easy one but it and again Brinson's Brinson's going to have an impact on this roster I mean, would you yeah, be shocked if Brett Phillips ended Phillips. up being the guy who had the most uh, the most starts in center field next year, if that's the way it ended up working out? Yes. You would be shocked. Hmm. I don't think I would be shocked. I, I would bet Brinson now, but I think Phillips has – there's a path to it. If you don't give Brinson a shot at the everyday role in center field, I have no idea what they're doing. Like, what what is the point? Well, okay, when you say give him a shot, so are you saying like he's a starter for every game or he starts four out of, you know, seven days or whatever it is? Like what what do you see as his his mix in center field? Like I think he should I think he should be playing every day. Okay. So Lewis Brinson is your starting center fielder. He's penciled in every single day. From day one. For for me, yes. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, like I said, there could be, you know, four days or Brinson, three days or Phillips or however they want to kind of rotate guys. around. Because I think no matter what you are going to do, if you are going to try to have your best outfield possible, Lewis Brinson is a piece of that. And I think that if you try to come up with a way in which you try to temper the learning curve or try to make up for the fact that he's got to adjust and all those things, you're just drawing it out. 
And I think you give him a shot. He's done everything in AAA he can ask. He is going to have an entire spring training with the big league squad. And I think you give him a shot to work through his issues like you have done with so many other players. And you invest the time. You invest the effort. There is quality enough space or there are quality enough players on the rest of the the roster to deal with the fact that you have somebody in center field that needs an adjustment period because goodness knows they had, you know, Cam Broxton up there for big stretches of time where he wasn't producing and they were still able to put together a competitive run. And so I don't think that there's an argument for not giving Brinson an everyday shot. I think that you can make an argument for saying Brett Phillips should start three days a week across, you know, left field, right field and center. And that's fine. But I think that's a completely different discussion on whether or not Brinson should be given an everyday role. Well, okay. So are you, because I wouldn't have any objection if the plan was we'd like to get Lewis Brinson about 130 starts this year and you know, 500 and would that be about 550? That's an everyday player. That's That's an everyday player. Yeah. I mean, I'm, if they're going to, you know, give him a day off a week and let, okay. So we're okay. Okay. Yeah. That's, I'm in, I'm in the same boat with you. Anything else you want to agree about, Ryan? Uh, no, I think we're good on that one. Okay. Uh, I, yeah. I will. Can I give one more? I, yeah, I think one Taylor, more. I think Taylor Williams will be somebody you'll see as, uh, I don't know if he's an immediate impact, but he'll be somebody, I think, from the minor leagues in the bullpen that you'll see get some meaningful reps. Well, I mean, do you think he can come up and be a relief ace? Uh, depending on what you mean by that term. Jo- Josh Hader-ish? Somebody just used in high leverage spaces? Yeah, it comes out with some, you know, hot stuff and basically can use him in high leverage. Eventually he works his way into that role. Yeah, I think he can be that guy. I think that the Brewers would be better off making sure that they have uh, established relievers to be able to use in that role right away instead of hoping leaning he on somebody like that. T- right. Uh, but I think that in terms of what kind of stuff Taylor Williams has, I think absolutely he can be somebody who's used in high leverage spots. Okay. Uh, moving on, JP, who do you think in the system uh, people need to have patience with? Like, is there anybody who shot up the list? Oh, everybody's gotten excited about, but you think, okay, we need to just kind of slow down a little bit and uh, give it some time. Here it is. I took, I took this, I took this question as who needed the, like the most plate discipline. Um, okay. (laughs) Wow. Uh, That's very specific. Oh. Right. Well, and I was going to say Mauricio Dubon, like he's somebody who needs to be able to show. Well, but that's that's not interesting. I'm um, talking about somebody who we've we've all gotten hot and bothered about. But now we need to just, you know, kind of take a cold shower on. Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I decided to put it that way. Um, yeah, I mean, I know that that Ryan knows that it's Corbin Burnson uh, or, or Burnson. No, not the actor. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna um, you know what that's that's a t-shirt not, right not, not, not roger dorn um <laughs> that's a t-shirt but, uh, but i will say that uh yeah i mean burns is somebody who needs an opportunity to you know fail and he needs a chance to be able to fail without everybody freaking out um he needs a chance to work through the upper upper echelons of the system um I think sending him to Colorado Springs would be rough, but I don't necessarily know what more time at double A is going to do for him. So he's in kind of a weird spot there. Well, Um, he did make it up to Colorado Springs by the end of the season, didn't he? I think he maybe had a couple of starts there, right? I don't remember how many starts he had. Ryan, he's your favorite. Fill us in. He did not. He uh, made half a dozen. Or he, he went from high A to double A. He went from high A to double A. Okay. Yeah, he finished the season at double A, okay. but did not. I think he 
he was under 100 innings there? Or right he just kept innings? shooting up so fast, I couldn't remember how many levels he skipped. He has been moving quickly. Okay, so yeah, he made it up. I don't have the numbers in front of me. but Yeah, he played in Biloxi. Um, that's where he finished the oh. season. So how many starts was that? Like otherwise, I'll say 10, that. 12? Uh, 16 in Biloxi. Oh, wow. 10, okay. 10 in Carolina, 16 in Biloxi. Okay. But I'll say that uh, Corey Ray is like my act. Um, I think from everything that it sounds like, he's been tweaking his swing for like the better part of two years. And I don't necessarily know why that is. I haven't seen him enough to know. I haven't seen any interviews to understand why he's. Um, but there is a lot of talk and there's a lot of discussion on his knee injury impacted last year, just because there were a lot of scouts that were talking about how quiet his lower half was and how much he was not driving into the baseball with his lower half and how much, you know, his knee injury was a part of that, how much he trusted his knee. So there's a lot of questions about him, but I think he's just somebody that maybe, I don't know if it's the organization, but uh, you know, scouts and certainly fans in general, um, including us, I think just thought he was ready to fly right away. And it's just somebody he needs more time. Uh, if you talk to somebody who really likes Corey Ray, the raw tools are still there. The raw, the raw ingredients are there. And it's just a question of how it's all going to come together. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it's going to be much, much more of a slow burn. Okay. Ryan, who do you have that everybody needs to kind of just relax on? So I was going to talk about Ray. I'm kind of surprised that he, that Breen didn't go the other direction. So I'll take the guy I thought he was going to talk about for sure. Uh, I'll say Mario Feliciano then. That people, but he's an 18 year old catcher in single A. Of course, we're going to need to be patient with that. That's not an interesting thing. <laughs> I don't honestly, I but, figured one of you guys was going to pick Monty Harrison because he had the breakout this year. But I mean, the guy well, came in as a raw, okay, pretty raw. If you want, player, if you want any better answer to that, then okay. So if, if you're saying that Mario Feliciano, people are going to be patient anyway, I don't know that that's necessarily I don't true. think I don't think anybody sitting the stat here line is like super popular. So nobody's sitting here waiting for Feliciano to make it to the okay. Players. So then I'll, the I'll go, I'll go a different direction then. People are I also in. think like 12 people know who Mauricio Feliciano because there are 12 people that listen to this podcast. Well, that's that's not true. And they're all in the UP. We found out <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're out of the UP. Yeah, yeah I don't shout, know. Shout out to those people. There was so, some bot up in the UP that uh, downloaded one episode quite yeah. a bit. But other <laughs> than least, that, at least it's not Vladivostok guys. I mean, that could be weird. And like, we no, start to think, wonder what was I going on. I think if you're if shout out if you are in the UP and you are listening to this Brewers podcast. Huge shout out to you, and I hope that uh, we keep you busy in the long winter that's coming. It's already well, snowing up there, so they're huddled in their cabin, is. and you know, and, and I was gonna out. say those guys like I, there were at least three of them because it was like thirty six downloads when we had twelve or episodes. ladies. I would like to yes. think that there are. I would like to think that there are also some Brewers fans or baseball fans that are women that are also interested in hearing us make fun of you. And we've never, <laughs> we've never gotten a question from anybody who uh, that we know of. Maybe Twitter handles are non-gender specific, but as far as we know, I've never. There is also catfishing on Twitter. There, <laughs> yes, there is. That, yeah. Any stories about that this week? Yeah. No, we should avoid that. We should yeah. not talk about that. Okay. Um, no. Okay. So you want a different answer to this? So I'll give you. A and that answer. did not happen to us, by the way. I don't want to make that sound like we experienced any catfishing. No, we did not. No, but what was that beyond the box score? They had some issue. No, it was BP uh, Wrigleyville. And, oh, that's right. Uh, and, and beyond and beyond the box and the beyond score. the box beyond. score yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 and 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 to be honest like I apologize I, I am not making light 
uh, of that situation. I mean, the more that we've learned about that, that is a pretty like, disturbing situation. Yeah. Well, and it's it's reflective of a lot of uh, issues that can happen online in terms of harassment. So, yeah, I mean, which I if, think if those things are happening, like people need to know because there is a there is as terrible as Twitter is within the baseball community. There is a lot of support. And so if if people are dealing with those sorts of things, uh, hopefully this has been able to shine a light on it to give uh, to give people the confidence to know that there are people out out there in, in baseball Twitter, as much as we like to argue about stuff, that people will come to, to folks' defense if they are getting bullied, if there's abuse happening or anything like that. So people shouldn't feel... It's a pretty tight-knit community, too. And if, you, want, a, and if you do want to find out what we're talking about, I think you probably go, uh, go back to Deadspin, had a write-up on it, and then I think also Awful Announcing uh, wrote something about uh, catfishing. So... Um, yeah. anyway, but anyways, my guy to, that I was going yeah, to talk back about. Yeah, back to your, your guy who everybody needs to kind of take. They need to be patient with. I have a feeling that people are going to need to be patient with Lewis Brinson this year. That that's going to be a, an issue early on. That he, people are going to want to push for Brett Phillips to immediately take over because he looked so good the last few weeks. That the last impression we have was was good that way. That Brinson may not come up and be great at the plate immediately. And people are going to need to wait and be, and just be patient on that. So I think that that's definitely a, a distinct possibility. So yeah, JP, do you think it's going to be a, a bit of an adjustment period for Brinson? I mean, more so than than people are expecting. Um, I don't know. I don't actually have a great feel for what people are expecting of Brinson. There were so many people that actually wanted to bail on Brinson and call up other people after he struggled for a week. I was going to so, say, yeah, everybody kind of watched him for his, his limited stints that he had in uh, this past season that I yeah, I don't even know what, what expectations are at this point. Yeah, I was going to say, in some ways, like, it's it sounds terrible to say, but, like, I've seen it so many times, and, you know, we have, and we've talked about it, where if he comes out of the gates and just lights it up in, in April and then struggles in May and June, like, Eric that'll James. be a bad that'll be a bad situation for him. Well, um, in terms, I, I in always terms think... of public opinion, right? In terms of public opinion, not in terms of his long-term protection. I always think if, if you come out of the gates hot and you have kind of a high baseline to fall from you're better off than struggling and having to get hot after that absolutely it, but it depends right because then you have the whole situation with gene segura where everybody felt like betrayed with him and that he was terrible and you know everybody was like well maybe he's still actually a good player and then he went elsewhere and turns out that he is actually a good player. Yeah, well segura's was more you know after that first half it was in the second half of that all-star season he had absolutely. and then the, the following year he turned into the disaster that i think everybody was ready to cut bait on well, but there's a situation in which if you bring expectations too high, people feel, I don't know if they like feel betrayed or if they feel like, uh, there's you know, a betrayal they got, aspect to it. like what? if they got too high on it or they just want to be contrarian or what the situation is, but like it gets to a really weird spot where unless you're somebody like Eric Sogard, where nobody expected anything of you in the first place. So if you had a great month or two, you are like allowed to be bad for a couple of months and people still think that you're good. Um, but it's, it's like, it's the whole thing with even Jonathan VR, like he had a great year and then so many people took a delight in the fact that he was bad this year, that everybody wants to like claim that either a, the Brewers should have known that VR wasn't good or B that they should have cut bait on him earlier and sold high or see that now he's proven that la that the previous year was a fluke and so that the team should cut bait. It's just such a weird 
it's the it's the whole thing where everybody is like, well, you know, this team is going to be terrible just so they can protect themselves in case the team does perform badly. Well, there's also the alternative in this situation. There's a strong alternative. So there's a guy who's popular. Brett Phillips is popular, especially after what he did late last season. And he is this alternative that can exist in people's minds for people to say, why aren't we just going to Phillips? Like, why are we sitting here watching Lewis Brinson struggle? Especially because we probably are going to be looking at uh, Brett Phillips getting, assuming, you know, assuming we end up with the outfield we think, which is, you know, Braun, Phillips, uh, Brinson, and Santana. If we if that's what the outfield ends up being, chances are Phillips is going to see a lot of targeted at-bats early in the season where he's going to feast on some bad right-handed pitchers. And his numbers are, you know, there's a pretty good chance they're going to look pretty good. And if Brinson gets off to a bad start offensively, there's going to be, I think, an extra level of, you know, public, you know, displeasure with sticking with Brinson, who's failing, over Phillips, who looks, you know, presumably probably pretty good. So I think, so two things. I think if there's actually a situation in which people want to bail on Brinson, it's going to be because Monte Harrison has a wonderful first half. And that people are going to see him in double A and talk and, and read the loud scouting reports. And they're going to want to say that we should turn to him because he's a potential superstar. I don't necessarily think that Phillips is going to create a situation in, in which people are clamoring for him. Unless it's like Brinson is so bad that people are trying to say like anyone will be better. Um, but I will say that like it's conversations like that. Like and I know we're not supposed to make fun of like listeners. And so, Steve, I'm sorry, but like, it's, 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 you warn me all the time not to make fun of people. You are the Um, man of the people, Steve. But like, yes. I'm waiting to see where Um, you're going with this. I think like nothing uh, displays to me how stupid people are than like sports. I mean, politics is like a really close. I thought one, you were going to have something more but, pointed than that. <laughs> I thought, what, that I was going to like call out individual thought, people. Apparently, yeah, yeah, that's I thought what so you're kind of setting us up for. Well, I could, but it's not. I don't choose to uh, at this moment. Um, but no, I mean, I think that in general, there as one. Uh, so there's a there's a front office uh, a buddy that I know, and. Um, and he was saying that one of the things that he actually prizes is people who have done graduate school in some capacity because those people have like chosen a specific topic to study for a long period of time and they're patient and they're willing to follow through on things for a long period of time. And that he thinks that uh, if you are somebody who wants to be a scout, if you're somebody who wants to be able to write on baseball, if you're somebody who wants to be able to analyze it in a meaningful way, that he says the, the, the frame of reference or like the timeline that people use to make decisions just needs to be so much longer than people currently do. And I mean, I know that that's an issue on Twitter, but I, I mean, even people who write professionally uh, and analyze baseball professionally need to understand that baseball is a, is a, is not only a game and a sport, but is just an, just like, statistically and physically is something that needs to be viewed in really long stretches because otherwise you're going to completely miss the point. And you'll see it with guys like Travis Shaw. You'll see it with guys like, 
you know, Jonathan VR or whom, whomever, like if you don't actually give somebody a chance to progress over a long period of time, Jimmy Nelson is somebody who's a good example of this. You're going to miss on talent because you're forced to make decisions far too quickly. And the Brewers, I'll be interested to see what they do now because they're not going to be in a position in a situation in which they're going to be able to have that long leash that they did have before that helped them get so many breakouts. Yeah. Well, thankfully, Twitter expanded to 280 characters. So I think everybody's going to be a lot more thoughtful Whoever when they're writing will. online from that's this fantastic. point forward. So uh, anyways, that's going to do it for uh, the show this week. As always, follow us on Twitter <laughs> at MKE Tailgate. We are end on me like making fun of people. Exactly. If you want to, if you want to make fun of JP, you can uh, submit that to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com through our Facebook page, or as I said, you can uh, send him messages at MKE Tailgate. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast. Thanks for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Fair, fair, fair.